Welcome to the Golf Beneath the Surface podcast. My name is Raymond Pryor. I'm a performance consultant. My areas of expertise are performance psychology, performance neuroscience, and sleep science. With me is my good friend and instructor, Chase Cooper. Chase, welcome. Are you, uh, have we worn your, uh, worn you out after being out of the I welcome years. out. I've played more uh, Mario video games in the last 24 hours uh, with your children than I've played probably in the last 25 years. <laughs> and the game has outpaced me, I can tell you that much. It's gone a long way from Atari to, uh, to Mario. Yeah, it's Super Mario, Mario World. Um, Greedy. The last Mario I played on was Nintendo 64. Okay. So that's a couple versions ago. So after staying at the house for a, for a night and hanging out with my two dogs and three kids, you've probably got a complete new perspective on, on me and why I'm, I was a, a failure as a golfer and crazy and me, a mental head case and all this, all this stuff. Right? Are you suggesting that's why you work 15 hours a day is because <laughs> you go and you're on duty all the time? I'm working all, all the time, right? No, it's a great group of kids. We had a lot of fun. We played uh, played a lot of games and got some dinner. It was it was great. It was a great group. And it was thank you to your wife for hosting. Oh, me, for sure, too. for sure. So uh, we had EJ on last last episode. Um, he's the salt of the earth. He's such a good guy, great instructor, great player, great barbecuer. He's a jack of all trades. It's not a surprise that EJ one has become such a really knowledgeable and helpful instructor to people. With you consider his willingness to learn, to collaborate with other people. And it's certainly when you interact with EJ, regardless of who you are and what you do, it's not a surprise that he's built such a network and a, um, you know, you might say a tribe of people because he's so easy to be around and so easy to talk to. And that is in large part because he's very curious. He's always looking to offer help to others, to ask for help from others and to try new things and learn about new things. And if you do that around a lot of people who are also trying to do the same things. It, like I said, it's not a surprise that he's so easy to interact with and so helpful to other people. So it's always a real treat to hang out with EJ. Like you said, he's, we're in Oklahoma. I think salted the earth is the term that yeah. most people would use describing him. And, and the, most of the people that he hangs out with too. I know I spent most of this last week at Oklahoma City Golf and Country Club and the membership is like that. You know, Tim Fleming was a college teammate of him who's yeah. um, kind of the czar of golf over there. Yeah. And it's, they're all kind of moving from that kind of same, same wavelength. And it's been a treat. Yeah. EJ taught me so much as a, as both a player and a coach, you know, one, we don't own any of this, you know, we are everything that we think we know or have learned has been taught for generations from somewhere down the line, um, to, to continue to learn, you know, there's an old saying, if you're not, if you're not learning, you're dying or you're, you're dead. And, and, you know, EJ was, you know, was always that way. And, you know, there was no ego with him. Like if, if he didn't feel like you were getting better, if you felt like you needed to go in a different direction, he was the first one to tell you like, go try it and see if it helps. And if it helps, you know, let's talk about it. And I want to know why I, you know, if there was something that I could have done differently to help you. And I, I just love that mindset. I mean, it, again, it, it paved my way or, or it, it helped pave the way for kind of how I want to be as an instructor. Yeah, it's definitely a, a refreshing take for a lot of instructors who, um, you know, you're in a business where people are really competing for a limited number of resources, whether that's tour cards, money, clients, students. Um, and it's really refreshing to see somebody like EJ who is really not protective of any piece of information, you know, any student for that matter. I think his attitude is probably if you can find what you're looking for, someone else I probably wish you the best on the way out the door, if that's what it is 
yeah. would take. So exactly right. it's, um, it's a nice blend for EJ and he's one of the, and don't be fooled by his salt of the earth demeanor. He is a competitor oh, and for he sure. will step on your throat trying to beat you at something. But what he's not doing is trying to compete with other instructors to be the person who has to be the one who helps his clients yeah, or that gets the credit or any of that stuff. Yeah. And, and he even mentioned this too, like when he will post one of his players and if he's consulting with somebody else, I mean, he'll tag that other instructor and say, you know, it might've been a Scott Cox or it might've been somebody else, Mike Adams or, or a, a David Orr that he's consulted with and will give them credit. Yeah. And it's, again, it's just uh, in this, in the world we're in today, it's just a breath of fresh air. Yeah, totally. 100%. So today we're going to talk about something we've, we've touched on a few different times, but we're going to take a deeper dive into it. And that's the dreaded Y word in golf and in some other sports they have, they deal with it too, but it's the yips. And, and doc, I'd like to talk about it from two different sides, from your side and from my side. If there's, you know, if we're talking about putting yips, chipping yips, full swing yips, is there something mechanical that could be happening? Um, you know, and obviously if it's a, if we're, we're struggling with yips, whether it started mechanical, it started in the mind, it was, it's going to be a mental issue at some point. It's going to, it was 100% going to end up being on, on your side for sure. Um, just want to dive into it. Um, I'll let you kind of, kind of start and let's, let's kind of start, I guess, start with the full swing yips. Um, how often do you see it? Um, how does it differ maybe from putting yips or short game yips with a little bit less speed? Um, what does the research show? What have you learned? All that. Yeah. The yips is, um, a difficult experience to say the least in, in many ways it can be really painful for people um, with what it with the challenges that it presents to your performance so the type of task is not really determining the yips in that you know full swing yips or putting yips or if it's a different sport the underlying psychological and neurological events are the same it's just a different task the psychology we bring to those tasks, though, tends to determine oftentimes the frequency and intensity. So, sure. for example, full swing yips are less frequent because the margin for error off the tee is wider. And that by meaning it's a fairway that might be many yards wide or in play is often the margin meaning, for error. Meaning an acceptable shot off the tee is much yeah, wider so and generous if, than an acceptable Exactly. Shot. Like, so if you hit a good drive and you went, oh, it went dead straight, it probably actually moved several yards, yeah. right? Okay. So our, what we deem acceptable off the tee tends to be wider um, versus when we're on the green, let's say we're putting, like the margin for error is indeed smaller. It's only the size of a cup, right? So you might... It's not surprising that we see yips closer to the hole. So that would be putting or chipping yips um, more often because the actual margin for error to get a ball close to the hole or in the hole is smaller than it is when you're farther away from the hole. But this plays out in a variety of other sports. Like it's rarer that you will get, for example, like batting yips in baseball than you would somebody throwing the ball to first base or to home plate or even sometimes back to the pitcher where the margin for error is the actual margin for error is much smaller, right? Is there a speed component to it? Um, I'm not sure. Maybe, the speed maybe component, I think what the speed component does is that it, it's going to um, amplify or at least expose any type of yippy motion that you have or hesitation that you have because at speed you can almost, it's not that it's not there, but it's, it's not as strong. So if I'm, again, let's say I have a three-foot putt and it's dead straight and I have any type of, 
manipulation of the club face that is far more likely to have a larger impact on make or miss versus if I'm off the tee and I have some manipulation of the club face, it might still be in play for me. Or maybe I just hit it Healy and it's still a usable drive. Um, so I think the slower the pace tends to be, the more your that jerky motion, not only is it going to impact the actual physics of you know contact between the club and the ball or what it might be, but it's also going to be far more noticeable to that person because you're not just going to be able to smother it with. I just force. swung through it with yeah. force, right? And that that's kind of what I'll tell people a lot of times too. I feel like, you know, even short game wise, speed is our friend. And sometimes those it's those soft little finesse shots that yeah. really give people fits and where, you know, you can take a seven iron and just swing really hard. And it's maybe easier to swing freely when we're swinging really hard versus those little, those little soft pitches where if we, if we go faster or try to power through it, the results won't be as good. Yeah. And, you know, to that point, that is certainly the case where again, so this is our actual margin for error. And when you're making a slower stroke that requires more finesse, usually the quote unquote landing spot for something is smaller, not bigger. Yeah. So there's, there's a, there is an actual margin for error for skill execution that does impact because our brain recognizes, you know, say you have a funky chip that is in a difficult lie. Like you might have something the size of a, you know, a dinner plate to try to land that thing on if you want to get it close versus if I'm hitting a nine iron from 150 yards and, you know, most people, again, it's very much subjective as to what's acceptable, but even for the best players in the world, hitting something to on the green that is in a functional spot is usually usually deemed an acceptable outcome. So it's a, it's a larger margin for error. I don't know too many players in the world, even the best ones who are trying to hit something the size of a dinner plate from yeah. 150 yards. And then I would also say the physics of hitting a golf ball, it's easier to go at it faster yeah. and, and call it find a consistent low point than right. it is going slower. And you would think like, well, you know, putting, you go slow and you, yeah, but you're never hitting the ground. You're never trying to hit the ground chipping or, or you ask any, any really good player right away, take a seven iron and swing it at 10%. And if they actually swing it at 10%, a lot of times it's chunky or a lot of times they, they can't figure out where the ground is yeah. quite as well. So that would say the margin for error is a little bit, a little bit different there too. Yeah. Your body can compensate faster at higher speeds than trying to fill in shorter, right? The like blunt. if your tendency is to hit something fat, the faster I swing, oftentimes I'm going to get my hands and arms to time it because it doesn't have to do as much uh, like to compensate as things are actually playing out. It's going to be more reactionary than yeah. it is perhaps uh, if things are going a little bit slower. So, you know, if anything, like oftentimes your technique and perhaps we might describe it as flaws in technique are probably more exposed, exposed oftentimes in more like partial pace or half pace shots. Yeah. So then to that point, do you think that like my first thought is if somebody has the driver yips, it's one thousand percent an acceptance issue first where you could say the same thing again you said that all yips are pretty much the same from a mental standpoint but if it's a chipping yip i may look at the motion and focus on the motion first for a second to make sure there's nothing mechanically that is also almost making it worse versus on the on the you know driver yips come from some big misses at times but then the brain's trying to protect from the big miss and then it just happens to happens to go that way i mean the yips can begin or manifest in a variety of different triggering points um but what it really on the most basic neurological and psychological level is we are trying to save ourselves from either an experience or an outcome that we don't want 
And again, that further tells our brain, you cannot allow this to happen, which means it's going to fight it or try to avoid it even more. So whether it's the driver and I cannot accept hitting one off the world ever again, or I have a three foot putt that I am unwilling to accept that I should ever miss what I'm telling my brain, if I'm unwilling to accept those possible outcomes or the experience being the anxiety that I feel during it is that my body has got to start to fight it. And what we need to understand psychologically, and this is again, part of the reason why anxiety is not a good thing, even in small amounts, despite what you might read in some books is because when our brain has a response to certain things and we have taught it that through our psychology. Let's say, for example, I have a short putt and I meet that putt with, please don't miss it, which is a no, a low level of low level of acceptance, high level of anxiety. And I teach my brain by doing that repeatedly. This is how we respond to this situation, whether, and it will generalize. So now it's not just a three foot putt, then it's a two foot putt or a four foot putt or straightforward ship and yeah. Fridays, right? So it's starting to generalize because it is designed to try to save us or navigate us through same or similar situations, right? Well, what's also important to understand about how our brain and body responds to when we teach it, these responses is it doesn't, the first step it takes when that's not enough is to increase it, right? So the classic example in psychology that they use in all the behavioral learning books is you're in a grocery store and a kid's throwing a little bit of a tantrum and they don't get what they want. It's not that they just end the tantrum there and go, oh, that's not working. They double down on it. So the tantrum becomes a full-blown meltdown, right? The same goes for us. When we meet things with anxiety or a low level of acceptance, which let's say, for example, someone, you have a straightforward chip and you just duff it for whatever reason, maybe it's technical, maybe you just mistimed it. Yeah whatever it might be. And then I go, oh, I can't let that happen again. The next time I'm over it, I'm showing my brain and body. This is how I respond to misses. Yep. Then if I do that enough and I continue to miss, so now I'm probably missing more because again, I'm trying to avoid the outcomes I don't want or the motions I don't want. Then when I get into a situation where that anxiety comes up and that's not producing the desired result that I want, because again, I'm asking my brain to multitask between avoidance and pursuit, it doesn't go, oh, well, a little bit of anxiety, that wasn't enough. So then it goes, I'll give you some more. So this is why, again, anxiety can become heavier anxiety and ultimately even move all the way up to panic. What the yips is by definition is we have met a certain situation repeatedly with such a level of low acceptance and avoidance and anxiety that my brain is now subconsciously trying to get me through that moment in the safest way it knows how, or the fastest way it knows how, not the best way, yeah. which is why the yips in, in any sport, but particularly golf manifests in two forms. The first form is your brain is just trying to stop you from doing it all together. So that's the player who's standing over a putt or a golf ball and just feels like they cannot take the putter back. No matter how much they're yelling at themselves internally, take the club back, yeah. take the club back, just hit it. The strongest parts of their brain that are built for survival, that are paying attention to no, every time you've come here, you've told me, do not screw this up. Do not screw this up. Do not screw it up. Well, the best way our brain knows how to save us from the thing that it, we are, we keep telling it, it cannot experience is to just not do it. Yeah. Right. So again, think back hundred thousand years ago, if every time you went to a certain place, you ended up hurt or injured or life threatening, or whatever, or you ate that thing and it poisoned you and you eventually got away with it after a while, it would be, it would cause you to try to hesitate to the point where it would get you to freeze, hence fight, flight or freeze. But this is 
full-blown like it's basically it's a panic situation full-on threat response where your body is trying to stop you from doing the thing in the first place right. because you have told it if it goes a certain way i cannot accept that right. at all right. the other form that the yips manifests is are these really jerky motions where you're kind of stabbing at something with very little follow-through and it's you know it's almost like you lose control of the voluntary muscles and you're particularly and we know for sure in arms and hands is the kind of the smaller yep. timing based muscles and that for form of it is i don't i can't stop you from doing this so i'm just going to get you through it as fast as i can and, and you're not doing it fast enough so i will take over and get you through it hence the jerky motion yep. where maybe you have taken the club back quickly but then there's a real jerk from the top or even if you're putting it's you know, the putter goes back quickly, but then I just slam it into the ball. Yeah. Of course, some what that speeds. What yeah. that does is often a ton of torque and it changes loft and it changes face angle and all of these Everything. things. And then on top of that, it's just a bit of a miserable experience because it is just an anxious experience. We are trying to save ourselves from something. And again, in a survival based setting, it would be very helpful. Yeah. But when we're trying to thrive and do something that we're trying to be really good at or um, enjoy, it could really mar the experience in a way. And then of course, if your livelihood depends on the yips, you know, that now your livelihood is at stake and there's no short, there's a very long list of athletes in a variety of different sports who have experienced the yips in one form or another, perhaps not known how to handle them correctly or went to the wrong means to try to um, get away from them. And it ended up actually making it worse or right. they were end up having to fight it for an extended period of time for like, and then end up costing them their career or in chunks of their career for sure. So again, it is important to understand what the yips are. It's us trying to avoid either an outcome or an experience at such a cost and at such an intensity that it's telling our brain, you need to help me get either just don't do this or get through it as fast as possible. It is driven by anxiety that then borders on panic. And uh, if you do that long enough, uh, it becomes a pretty aversive experience and it's not a surprise why many people um, often end up quitting if that's what they're experiencing. So to, to back up just a little bit, touch on one thing, in a thriving-based environment like golf, anxiety is never a good thing. Never a good thing. Okay, remember, nerves is a physiological response. It's our body and our nervous system, particularly our sympathetic nervous system, which is the part of our nervous system that activates us for and then fill in whatever blank. So that's that's what increases our heart rate, increases our breathing rate. It's a bit of our uh, cortisol, a little bit of adrenaline, but it's also dopamine on a neurochemical level. And the difference between nerves and anxiety, nerves is a physiological um, upregulating of our nervous system to help us fight flight or perhaps freeze. But it is not, it's preoccupied with now, not the future. So it's, I need to make move. I'm about to do something that is important to me when it counts. And that's our brain going and nervous system going, let me help you with that. But yep. here's some energy and here's some focus. Right. Anxiety by definition is a psychological state that is worry about the future. It's us trying to fill in uncertainty, usually in a way of how do I avoid and then fill in whatever blank. Yep. And that comes from the part of our brain that is actually more rational thinking, conscious thinking than uh, nerves, which comes more from the like, survival based portions, the survival based portions of our brain are only trying to get us through now. Yeah. Okay. The slower rational thinking parts of our brain are the ones that start to project the future and plan. Now again, not a bad thing, 
But when we try to fill in in certain situations, and even in many situations, like if I have a golf shot, I do want to think a little bit into the future about how I want it to go. But if I'm so far in the future or I stay in it trying to fill in the, but what if this happens? And what if this happens? I can't let this happen again. That is by definition anxiety. If I'm putting it into kind of uh, usable language, it's an unwillingness to allow for uncertainty to unfold. It has to go a certain way for me, or I need it to not go, or it should always go a certain way for me, or I cannot let it go a certain way for me. So the difference between nerves is, whoo, this is a difficult tee shot, and anxiety is, uh-oh, I can't let this go, so and then we'll fill in whatever right. blank. Or for putting, it's a three-foot putt. Nerves is, whoo, I really want to make this putt. I'll have to live with it if I don't. Anxiety is, I cannot miss this putt. I cannot allow it. I shouldn't ever be missing these putts. And the difference between those two is a willingness to sit in uncertainty. And if you if you respond to something with anxiety long enough, it's only a matter of time before you're the faster, stronger parts of your brain. You have told it over and over again, this is something that requires anxiety for us to navigate. And then it's going to start to try to help you as best it can. In the same way, though, if we meet stressful situations, stress being defined as duration and intensity of demand with acceptance and groundedness, our brain also starts to learn, oh, that's how we respond to this. And the reason we would want to learn that and give that to our nervous system and our brain over and over again is because, again, that's where we perform most freely and get the most out of our skills. So the yips, you know, is basically the exact opposite of freedom to the point where the subconscious parts of our brain are trying to save us from something we have told that you need to be safe from. Right. Um, we've talked about marrying acceptance on here. You mentioned some last night when we were talking about in, in your world uh, called radical acceptance, radical acceptance. Yeah. And, and really we'll talk about the mechanics of the, uh, some of the yips in a minute, but really like for people with full blown yips, they've got to radically accept all outcomes to have any chance of yeah. fixing this thing. Yeah. And it sounds counterintuitive or counterproductive, but it's not. Again, if you understand what yips are, it is us in a full-blown threat-based avoidance uh, response. The opposite of that is I'm willing to accept and live with any and all experiences and outcomes. So the remedy for the yips, which again, at the source is a psychological uh, response that I have generated that I'm fighting the thing that I don't want to happen. Yep. I'm trying to resist it at all costs. And then my brain is doing what it does when I tell it this is something that needs to be resisted. The remedy is being willing to yip again, perhaps missing a putt, perhaps missing a fairway, a hundred miles to the right, whatever it might be. So when we learn to stop fighting what it is that we are trying to fight, our brain, we are telling our brain, you don't have to meet this with anxiety anymore. And if you do that enough, and um, you got to pay attention to when it's starting to kick in. If I sit with that anxiety, meaning, okay, I'm feeling anxious, but I don't need to meet this with anxiety. And if I'm willing to live with whatever uh, discomfort I'm experiencing right now, whatever outcome might come with this. So again, this is I'm willing to experience whatever I'm experiencing internally and externally, and I'm willing to see how things play out. Eventually you start showing your brain, you know, this thing that I've told you, you need to yip your way through. You actually don't have to do that. And so the remedy to the yips is radical acceptance, meaning accepting all possible outcomes and experiences. I guess it's tough for us to wrap our head around sometimes because our default response 
to the things that we don't want to happen and don't feel good for us is to try to resist them. But the more we're willing to accept them, the less self-imposed interference we are bringing to them. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to hit poor shots from time to time or miss short putts. But what it means is if you do, your panic and your yips is not going to be the reason for it. And the bottom line is the more we do this, again, the more we're showing our brain, you don't have to save me from this. You can let me do this and live through it or experience it. And the more it does that, it doesn't feel the need to have to activate our nervous system to that point and for the parts of our brain that try to just keep us alive at all costs at the cost of thriving at something don't have to engage in the same way. And um, I'll just tell you, I had more than a hundred people come to me experiencing the yips and those that embrace radical acceptance, the yips will fall away soon. It's, and it doesn't take too long. And I'm not saying it's a magic wand and I'm not saying they don't ever experience anxiety, but the faster they wrap themselves around the idea of radical acceptance, the freer they're able to swing. And, and, you know, it's not uncommon that I'll get a text that was like, I played such and such round of golf so freely today. It felt amazing and such and such. And it's what's behind that, that I'm relaying back to them is that's because you are willing to have the worst round of your life or perhaps yip it again. And every now and then that yippy feeling might pop up, but when they meet that with like, okay, it happened. I don't need to fight that. Then it does, it becomes just a singular event rather than an ongoing event people. And one of the things that's hardest about for people who have experienced yips for a long time is they have to accept, and again, here's our radical acceptance, the possibility it might be a lifetime thing, yeah. even though it's not. Yeah. But if you accept that as one of the possibilities, then your brain doesn't feel the need to save you from it. Because, you, from it. you know, the idea behind that is like, I can't yip this one because if I yip this one again, it's further evidence that I have a lifetime of yips yeah. coming my way. Right. And if you're willing to live with that, and again, it's, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you understand how our brain works and how our psychology influences how our brain works, that's just reverse engineering how the yips begin in the first place. A couple of things that come to mind, like some people view when they shank an iron shot, like that it becomes this long-term disease that they'll never get rid of, right? And I, I like to tell them, I'm like, look, a shank is the same thing as a slice or a hook or a, it's just one shot, it's just one mess, yeah. right? And I would say that the yips can be viewed as kind of the same thing, right? It doesn't mean that you're gonna have them all the time. The other thing I would say is, to your point, they're not, this isn't easy. It's not easy to mm-hmm. have radical acceptance. And and again, they may, you may get, you may defeat them for a while and they may come back for a little bit because of, you know, where your mindset is. Um, I had a, a parent that had a had a kid that had some some yips, an older, older kid had some yippy, yippy putts and some, some yippy chips and they couldn't understand it. Like what they're just, they got to believe in themselves more. They got to have confidence, all the, all the old stuff. And I made the analogy. I was like, have you ever been in a car wreck? Yeah. Was it a bad one? Yeah. I just offended better in a parking lot. I was like, yeah, I've been in a, I was in a fender better in a parking lot in college. And probably for a month after that, anytime I was in a similar situation where I was pulling out the same way that I was pulling out that parking lot, I had a quick flashback, right? Kind of a mini version like PTSD on a, my guess would it be is, on a smaller level. Yeah. So to just kind of make sure we understand the, the neuroscience behind that, our brain is designed to remember events like that. Yeah. So one of the things I encourage people to pay attention to is, you know, performance psychology instruction that is telling them like, just don't talk about or think about bad events or don't limit your emotional response to it because that will keep yeah. you from forming a memory. 
That's not at all how our brain works. Right. Our brain is specifically designed to remember things that it deems as threatening. And certainly things like a car accident that are indeed physically threatening to us, or when we tell it golf shots are unacceptable, it is designed to remember those yeah. to because it's trying to save us from having the same experience and outcome in the future. Again, survival versus threat. survival over threat. It yeah. is designed to survive first. So if you do something that is perhaps dangerous to us and your brain is specifically designed to go, here's some emotion with this so that we can encode some memory to it. Yeah. And by the way, you're going to need to do this several times in a different way before I go okay, I'm going to let you go free, right? Sure. So the ratio, most research shows it takes uh, for every one negative, I'll use this again in quotes because it's not really negative. Right. I might say just like uh, event that we don't like that we would prefer not to have, or we might even say threatening event. It takes five more spacious, meaning I'm willing to go through this and see a different experience. So it's a five to one ratio. We might say negative to positive just yeah. to try to simplify it. So the idea that you're going to have a chip that you just duff and the next time you get around there and you have a similar something, the idea you're not going to remember the last time is highly unlikely. Oh. Kind of the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Be honest. Yeah. Or if someone rerends you somewhere, the idea that you're not going to come back to a similar place or a similar situation, your brain is designed to go, this is the same thing. Mm -hmm. Be careful. Which is, again, why when we meet putts and chips or any part of our performance with don't let it do this, yeah. and then the outcome matches, our brain goes, okay, next time I'll amp that up so that it doesn't create that outcome for yeah. you. Problem is we're not surviving in this situation. We're trying to thrive. And so when I meet it with survive, 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 the way our brain encodes that five to one ratio yeah. and then its tendency to amplify the response, not decrease it, yeah. you do that over enough period of time. Not a surprise why the yips becomes a factor and you're in full-blown threat response every time you have a, a chip. The other subjective part of it is what we tell it is and isn't acceptable will amplify that response or not. For example, it's not uncommon that players will tell me, you know, if I've got a shot that I have to thread through the trees or a really difficult shot that nobody expects me, including myself, to pull off, which is another way of saying I have a super high level of acceptance for any outcome, I don't yip with those. Or but, if I have a really difficult chip where, like, honestly, it's just pretty good to get it on the green, no yip whatsoever because his level, their level of acceptance is much wider yeah. for what's available. But if I have a really short putt, a straightforward shot, like 100 yards out to a middle pin or a really straightforward chip that, like, honestly, if I execute it pretty well, has a good chance of going in, those are the ones that are the most yippy for them because their level of acceptance for what outcomes they're willing to have gets smaller, not wider. And, you know, as much as I would say, well, you said, hey, Raymond, it's a lot easier for me to play those. The answer is yes. But if you brought that same level of acceptance to all shots you're playing, that's our radical acceptance, mm -hmm. then the shot doesn't determine the level of freedom you have for it. And you have more access to your skills more often. And you don't have to be in jail to be able to right. swing freely. Um, one of the things going back to the, the car wreck or the, the survival or the, the brain trying to protect is when I'll, I'll struggle with some yips at times with some putting and it, it feels like I'm like, I'm getting electrocuted. Yeah. It's like a, it's yeah. a jolt. It, it is an electrical impulse in your brain straight down to your muscles, which is, and part of the reason it feels so fast like that, like you said, I almost feel like I'm getting a, yeah. a bolt of electricity is because it is a stronger impulse of electricity. So our brain communicates to our body through electrical impulses. That's the, that's the yeah. communication language between our, our brain and anywhere in our body. And, 
the fastest way to do that is to give you a jolt of it at the and again the you'll know your level of acceptance because it it comes out at the moment of truth right which is usually by the top at somewhere near the top of your backswing or once you've taken the putter back where it goes and the amount of time between the top of your backswing or you take the putter back to impact is plenty of time for your brain to shoot you that bolt if you have given it that if you have told it repeatedly this is the best response for him even though it might not be so we've talked ad nauseum on here about the importance of mindfulness the importance of being on time and now i'm going to start using radical acceptance because i, I kind of like that i'm still now in front of you and then on target or game plan yeah so i get the sense in in, in talking about this when we are a catcher throwing it back to the pitcher's mound or we're chipping, we're putting, we're, we're worried about, you know, driver going off the planet, obviously acceptance is bad, but I would also say on target and game plan goes out the window. Do you agree? Yeah. So what can happen very quickly um, for those who experience the imps will be able to resonate with this is where you come to this situation and you start feeling anxious oftentimes before you even get there. And then when that anxiety kicks in, if we don't know how to sit with that and either pay attention to our level of acceptance and perhaps how grounded we are, the mind starts to race because it's trying to find, well, where is the way that this can play out or what can I do to try to save you from the outcome, right? So it starts to race, which then your clarity of intention or clarity of what it is that you're trying to pursue and how to do it becomes very muddled very quickly. Because really what the primary task for your brain is is just get through this as fast or as safely as possible not as well as possible so when we're having bringing that level of resistance to a situation we are telling our brain the whole pursuit thing like that's way it's not even on the back burner it's so far back there and then of course it's just again it's designed to look for what are the avenues for you to avoid to avoid to avoid but at some point you're gonna have to step up and hit a shot if you want to play golf and since you can't avoid that, it's going to do its best to try to either stop you from doing it, which is that's that hesitation. I'm standing over it. Or, you know, the major leagues, you might see a pitcher who just like they can't make their first move into their their windup. And then in more reactionary positions like playing shortstop, it's the second manifestation, which is I'm going to try to get you through that throw or yeah. that movement as fast as possible, which messes up the sequence of our physical motions and it messes up our target oriented. We're not target oriented. We're avoidance oriented. Yeah, right. And if you add those things up, it's, that's the effect on our performance that takes such a toll. And then, of course, the experience is just marred by anxiety. And it's on a neurochemical level, anxiety for us is just adrenaline. It's not dopamine. So dopamine plus adrenaline is nerves. That's hence part of the you know, dopamine makes what we're doing in the moment more enjoyable. It makes effort feel good. Okay. And it helps focus us on the task at hand when we tell it that's the most important thing. So without that though, it's just adrenaline. So if you hear like the extreme sports people and they're like, they're adrenaline junkies, they're adrenaline and dopamine junkies. Adrenaline just feels bad. It does not feel good for us. It's a very agitating when it's just dopamine without anything else. I'm sorry, just adrenaline without anything else. It's very agitating. And the reason it feels crappy is because it's our brain and body again, trying to get us to get out of something, not stay in it. And so if we can't actually escape it, or we're going to choose to do this anyway, that makes the experience feel really, really bad. And which is again, why when we start to 
meet these situations with anxiety, the, also the enjoyment of the experience starts to come down. Our skills become disrupted, which makes the experience that much less enjoyable. And then ultimately it also starts to bring in a lot of the social components where a lot of people at the yips feel like we're experiencing the yips are telling me, you know, I'm worried about embarrassing myself, but I want, I don't want to be that guy that nobody wants to play with because I'm going to chip things around the green three times. And of course, that's a serious con concern for a lot of people in those percent. And one of the layers of radical acceptance that we have to perhaps be willing to experience. So it can, it's a, it's a very, um, aversive experience to say the least. So there's, there's two types. It's the adrenaline before, and then it's the, a lot of times it's the quick, like rush of speed to try to try to get through it right right um like for me when i felt it again i won't a lot of times i won't feel it till right at impact and i i don't i don't know when it's coming on i don't feel it coming on again a lot of times i've mentioned something 20 25 footers i'll feel a hit impulse like so let's let's kind of get into obviously we've we've identified the importance of acceptance the importance of radical acceptance let's get into like where should our focus be so we're hey we're gonna accept all outcomes here now we get over the putt, let's say, is it, are we trying to get our brain to focus totally on visualization? Are we trying to get our brain to focus on, I've had instructors and, and sports psychologists say like, maintain grip pressure the whole time. Like if you'll give your brain a task to do, it's more likely to stay on that task versus if you're just not on anything, it, it gives it a chance to go into the avoidance mode. Like, is there any truth to that? Yeah. And what we're, we are really looking to shift focus to is something more external. So uh, when our focus gets external, it almost mobilizes our brain and nervous system toward that target. You might think of it like uh, a finish line or something. So one of the things we know, for example, with putting for sure, is that when we are standing over a putt, what we're looking to do is you might take a look toward your target or toward the hole, whatever it might be. And then when you come back and your visual focus is actually on the golf ball, you're almost holding the image of the hole in your head. And with that, what you're essentially by trying to maintain that image as you look at the ball and then the objective is to just go, what you're essentially giving your brain, the last thing I'm going to let you think about before we do this is just what I want to happen, which is want this thing to go here. When you start to get too mechanical, again, what happens is you become less task oriented and get this thing from here to there and more with the nuts and bolts of, well, how do I have to do it in a way that won't create a yip type of situation or a yip feel or, well, what will make sure that this thing goes smoothly without any type of, you know, perhaps jolt or something like that. And the focus becomes more internal. We get too introceptive. So okay. our default response to anxiety is to start focusing more on how we feel and what we're thinking. We get super introceptive which just furthers the anxiety because what happens is we're not actually in tune with the environment around us. Right? We're more in tune to our internal environment. Now, I'm not saying we need to ignore it, but what I'm saying is at some point to execute a skill, we've got to get our focus. We call this like narrow and external. Narrow meaning like the visual field or the task that we're focused, our focus is narrowing to the task itself as it's happening now. And then external meaning I'm not focused on what I'm thinking and feeling about. I'm focused on where I need to see or what I need to think about in order for this task to be executed. So if it's a chip, you're, what you're keeping in mind is, you know, the landing spot that you might want to land this thing on. If you're putting, it's, you know, some people, they like to just keep the hole in mind. Others, it might be like a blade of grass. They're trying to start something or a line. But what it is, is you're 
the image you're holding in your brain right before you execute, you know, you might look toward your target, head goes down where your visual focus on the ball. And then, but I'm, what I'm holding in my mind is the image of my target, right? So our focus moves along three different planes. There's visual, that's literally what we're looking at. There's cognitive, which is like what my focus is on, what I'm thinking about. And then there's temporal, temporal means time, past, present, and future. And so if I'm over a putt or any type of shot, I take a look at where I want to go. That's my visual focus going where I want. And then if I'm present temporally, then all I need to do is keep that image in my mind. And then my cognitive focus is there. So essentially what you've done is you have aligned the three areas of your focus, which is I'm in the present moment I'm focused on the task at hand. And what I'm thinking about is the target for the task at hand. And as you line those up and learn to do that, oftentimes that really clarifies for your brain what you want to do. That again, the caveat being, do I have a high enough level of acceptance for perhaps experiencing any and all things apart about that, that my brain doesn't prioritize over that because I've told it it has to save me from it. Give us a quick, simple uh, definition difference between internal and external cues. So internal, or we might say introcept would be something like I'm focused on like what I'm feeling or thinking rather than where my, what I'm seeing and in my target, or I'm more focused on the fact that my heart rate, I feel like my heart's about to beat out of my chest or that I'm feeling a sense of the heaviness that might come for some people with anxiety. I'm more focused on that feeling and trying to do something with it than I am the task that is in front of me, which for golf is always this golf ball is here and I want to get it as close to where it goes as possible. So we know from decades of research that people perform at their best when they are kind of seeing and reacting. And of course, it's very easy to say, okay, we'll just go see and react. Yeah. But then there's the question behind it, which is like, why aren't you seeing and reacting in the first place? Yeah. And if you're telling yourself, you cannot miss this putt, or you cannot yip again, or you're not allowed to feel anxiety, or any of these kind of avoidance-based tasks, like our brain, again, is designed to prioritize those over yeah. pursue. So even if we use flow state as a reference, in flow state, we are just seeing and reacting in real time and there's no self-imposed interference. So flow state in many ways is we are in a psychological state where we are not giving our brain any avoidance-based tasks. And because of that, it just funnels straight to the present moment, which is why we are, it goes by this fast or perhaps there's this dumb kind of distortion in time. And that's because our psychological clock and the actual time playing out are moving at the same speed. There's no ego orientation. So it's not, I need to prove what I, how good a player I am or not, you know, screw this up or not be an embarrassment or not be someone. It's just, just the task at hand. So there's immersion in the task at hand without ego orientation. And the ease of functioning comes from, I'm not making the task at hand any harder than it needs to be. Yeah. And then surprise, surprise, or not so surprising, things tend to play out much more smoothly for us. So essentially the, um, Flow state is a state where the level of groundedness, meaning presence, is crazy high. I am in a pursuit-based task orientation with a crazy high level of acceptance. Yeah. And that's why players, you know, it's not uncommon. And I'm sure a lot of listeners will be able to resonate with it where, you know, there's a day I have for whatever reason I've let go of expectations. I've stopped trying to fight the idea of a certainness or whatever. And you know, whether the situation was helping or not, I stopped caring about what other people were thinking about whatever. And I'll go through a couple of holes and be like, whoa, what just happened? And look down and you were performing much better than you have and enjoying it much more. Yeah. And that is, you know, essentially 
the formula we're talking about, which is the remedy to the ifs, which is crazy high level of acceptance. Can I be grounded and focused on the task at hand and perhaps even seeing the task at hand visually and in my mind differently that can create some more space where again, your nervous system and your brain don't feel the need to meet it with resistance, which eventually stacks up into panic threat and yeah. When do you have a handicapped golfer that, that you're working with on the yips, go see a, somebody like me. Um, if it's a handicapped golfer, I want to know what their handicap is. And I want to know a little bit about the story about how they first started experiencing the yips. Was it, you know, cause it can start mechanically or technically. And by that, I mean, they're not, they're not very competent at being able to chip or putt. Yeah. But then what happens is when they start seeing outcomes they don't want, which might be a duff chip or some missed putts from short range, they then meet that with resistance. And then whatever technique, even though it was not very functional for them, now they start searching for where's the technique that can yep. guarantee. guarantee an outcome. And typically my guess is what you'll see as an instructor is someone who's just dragging the handle at all costs, just trying to keep the as much of the club face available to the ball as possible. Mm -hmm. The downside, as we know, is this is not the most efficient right. to that chipping point, technique. A lot of it depends right. on which miss was first. Is it more Correct. chunky or is it more thin? Or is it bladed or thin and then thrown in different directions? So certainly I wouldn't tell anybody, don't go try to improve your technique. But again, there's no technique you can bring to something that will tell your brain, I don't need to save you from this if that's what you're telling it. So this would be why, like, if you have uh, the putting yips, oftentimes players will go, well, I changed putters and I changed grip and my yips went away. And then my next question is for how long? And the answer is almost always something between 30 and 90 days, because it only takes that long for your brain to figure out we're actually just doing the same thing in a different way. And you have told me, I can't let this happen. Yeah. So again, what you have changed is you have changed the, um, the association your brain is making with the task ever so slightly where it doesn't recognize it quite as much at first and it feels a little differently and you go, oh, I think that will produce the outcomes I'm looking for, but the underlying low acceptance is still there, in which case then it's only a matter of time before your brain figures out, well, I can't guarantee outcomes with a new grip or a new putter. And then you have the yips come right back because it figures out, oh no, this is the same thing just in a different flavor, right? So again, I wouldn't tell anybody don't change your putter or your yeah. grip, particularly if you're in a pinch. But unless you address the underlying issue, you're still doing the same thing. It's just with a different tool and that, that doesn't change. Your brain is specifically designed to sniff through that stuff pretty quickly. Can't trick it. So what about the long putter with guys like Bernard and Lucas Glover and going through all that? And they can, but my guess is they still experience some anxiety putting, which again, not the worst thing in the world. If you're going to be performing at a high level and anything and the outcomes matter to you, anxiety is to a degree going to be part of the situation because it's always uncertainty and our brain yeah. is designed to respond to uncertainty with, oh, how do I save you? Yeah. Um, and they might, I'm not saying that changing putter or perhaps moving to a longer putter or something can't ever work for people, but it's a low percentage play. So for every Lucas Glover or Bernhard Longer that, you know, we're able to get past the yips with a putter, there are hundreds of players, even at the professional level who it lasted for a couple of days or a couple That's of weeks for fun. them. And it's the same, same thing in a different way. Well, to your point, and I don't know about Bernhard, I'm sure he's talked about this at some point, but Lucas 
talk specifically about working with the Navy SEAL and he right. was like, attack it. Like you've got to identify, you've got right. to, and I'll probably live with it, live with it. Yeah. For a little so bit most of the uh, military based psychological training, which I ascribe to some of it is you have to be willing to sit with that anxiety. If you're not, again, you can change. So my guess is Lucas, not only did he change putters, which he's, he's been putting beautifully for the last couple of months, yeah. but also did some training where it's instead of me getting anxious and then fighting, I need to learn to just sit in that discomfort, accept it yeah. without acting upon it, which again is just another way of saying, I'm sitting in this anxiety and I'm willing to experience any outcome and I'm going to go put this thing freely and see how it shakes out. That's the essentially like learning to just be uncomfortable. It's not learning to get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's just be uncomfortable. Yeah. And if you can sit in that and then allow yourself to operate freely, eventually your brain starts to go, oh, well, when I'm uncomfortable, we operate freely. Oh, well, when we're uncomfortable, we operate freely. So think of it like this as this kind of habit association where it's like this trigger. Oh, you've given me a different response to it. That must be what we're doing from now on. And as long as you are consistent with that and don't jump back to what you've been doing when eventually you do see some outcomes yeah. and experience some anxiety, that's how you get a kind of longer term behavioral and cognitive change for us as human beings. And if Lucas had those two layers where I, yes, I changed either the putter and the way I use it. And I learned to sit in some anxiety. You've got a really good chance of that change being much more sustainable than I just, just swapped out. Putter. Yeah. Again, because he's not just addressing the physical use. He's also addressing the underlying psychology that he's bringing to yeah. using that tool. Um, some of my favorite people to work with are the the people that have have, have had a really bad case of chipping gifts yeah. and like want to try to avoid it at all costs. I tend to see those people get it a little bit, um, get maybe a, a a a worse case of yips than I see it with putting. I've seen some people that will just they they quit golf because they couldn't chip yeah. um, from an embarrassment standpoint from. You know, and, and I think some of it is just the fact that there's so many different types of chip shots around the greens, like a putt's a putt. It's just a different length, like yeah. from rough bunkers to tight lies to hitting high soft shots to low, low drivers. Like there's a variety of different shots. Um, it's also the clubs with the, you know, wedge because it has so much loft on it relative yeah. to a putter. You know, if, if you manipulate the face, all that's going to be exact. So open the putter face a little bit, or I de loft it a little bit. I'm still probably going to yeah. hit the ball yeah, in exactly. a way that moves it somewhat near the hole. Whereas if I have a wedge and I get deliver the leading edge to it, or I duff it six yard, six inches behind the ball, the outcome is going to play out so much more dramatically too. And yeah. which again, yeah. makes that experience way less. No, that's exactly right. So one of the things that I'll, I'll first do is, and again, I'll, Try to get them to have a basic little, you know, high high hands, toe down, little chip shot to be able to mm -hmm. kind of survive. Get something pretty simple. But then for me, it's all about turf interaction. Yeah. Like, can they sit there and make 10 or 12 practice swings in a row? And and we'll talk about acceptance. I'll, I'll definitely, it's not just technique. I've, you've convinced me of that wholeheartedly. There's a reason we're doing all these podcasts. So I will go, can we get turf interaction? Can we get turf interaction? And... And then once they can show that they can do it, they are competent enough to do it five, six, 10 times in a row without a ball, then we'll introduce the ball. And a lot of times they'll yip the first one. Yeah. And 
their first reaction is, see, there it was. It was terrible. I'm horrible. It sucks. I'm like, how was your turf interaction? I don't know. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's, yeah. do, let's do it again. And so we'll go through this. And I may, we may do this 50 times in the span of an hour lesson, but it's five chip, five, six, seven in a row. Okay, good. Now, your only objective here is turf interaction. Right. How is your turf interaction? And it takes them a little bit to be even aware that uh, that it was completely different. Or once they start to get like, they'll hit one, they're like, oh, that was the same. And then they'll hit a good chip and they're like, is it, is it that easy? And I'm like, well, no, not always is it that easy. But you have to, in my opinion, from my perspective, you have to check off that box. Maybe not first. You have to accept all outcomes first. But then I need you to be on task to hit the ground the way you want to hit the ground. If you can drive this car in the parking lot, then okay, we drive it the same way when we're in rush hour traffic. If you had an, if you had a rush hour and you're panicked about it, you're, you can drive the car and not do it the same with the golf ball in the way. The other thing I'll do a lot of times is I'll get right up next to them and I'll have them close their eyes and just make swings and then I'll put a ball in the way and they'll a lot of times hit it good. And, you know, and I'm like, it's a lot of times I see people getting too ball bound to hit. They're worried about the hit instead of just making the motion. And so I'm always fascinated about, fascinated about the tasks I can do to say, speed up the process, right. to allow them to, to accept more freely if they have a task at hand that they could accomplish. Kind of a pass or fail almost. Yeah, and if what you're doing is you're shifting the task in a way that gets away from just the outcome. Just the result. Right? Yeah. And so certainly any golf shot, we're trying to get the ball from where it is to where we want it to go, but the hit impulse amplified through the yips is gonna be really difficult to play from. Whereas if you shift the tasks to, hey, wherever this thing goes, we'll go, but just let's interact with the turf in the way that we've been doing, or let's just make sure that we check off turf interaction. It almost pulls the focus a little bit to something where it can be less about, did this ball go where I wanted it to go or make perfect contact him, or did I do something that really gives the best chance for me to be able to see that? Yeah and reeling back a little bit. And then you can start to reintroduce things as people start to play a little bit more freely with those shots. But what you're doing is you're getting the task more externalized, yeah. right? So, it's so like in putting, we talk about keeping the image in the head. What you're doing is, can I see you interact with the turf in this way? So it's an external task that their vision and their attention can follow and, it, and can be present with. And again, that's what aligning the three planes of, of our three planes of focus for us. And if you do that, again, you're increasing the odds of being able to execute really, you're going to find out what your technique actually does. And then you might be able to have a chance to improve it. Well, and it's the same thing with shanks, but I find that people that get like, we're talking back case of yips where they're completely avoiding playing golf at all. They view this as such a difficult task that they can't even, they can't even attempt it anymore. And I'm like, look, if we can control where we get, can you do this? Yeah, I can brush the ground a few times. Okay. Instead of you thinking, I've got to grip this right, I've got to keep my tempo right, I've got to see the target, I've got to land it right, I've also got to spin it, I've got to hit it to three feet for it to be acceptable. I'm like, no, let's hit it solids. Again, going back to the shanks, the shanks, people that that fight shanks, I'm like, can you hit this off the toe? Maybe, and they'll hit one and they'll hit it off the toe and their first thought is, well, it didn't go where I wanted it to go. I'm like, wait, 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 you can't be, you know, you can't let the shanks control you then not shank it and then also be worried about where it's going or it didn't fly the, the perfect distance. It's like we try to make make it so perfect all the time. Instead, it's like, can you do this task? Yeah. Well, what about that shot over the bunker? We're not there yet. Get get the turf interaction down. Get get back to where you're high level accept. You can get high level acceptance, radical acceptance. 
get the turf inter interaction down and start hitting these solid. Then you can start pushing yourself and challenging yourself and experimenting with these harder shots. But if you can't do this first, don't don't go over there. Don't try to be perfect. Yeah, and what you're describing is, um, again, people trying to be perfect. So again, by definition, what's our level of acceptance and margin for error with perfection? Low and none. None. Right? Yes. And then what you're also saying is their tendency to go, well, this happened, but what about that? So again, it's not now, it's yeah. later. Yeah which is again, our tendency to try to be ahead of something and be worried about or have figured out something before we even get there. Yeah. There's a time to plan for all that. But in a golf lesson where you go from delivering the hosel to delivering the toe, if your first reaction is, well, that wasn't perfect and what about this? Yeah. You're not really engaged with the task at hand with a high enough level of acceptance to even gain the benefits from that learning experience. So, and again, that is large part because that very likely how that person has learned to to bring to those situations where the way for me to get better is to be perfect and to always need to know well, what about the next one instead of well how about this one yeah and not perfect different yeah because if it was the same as you've been doing obviously you're bringing the hosel to it or yeah. you're yipping through it how about different yeah. and how about now for yeah. a little while until we can start to develop something that gets you moving closer to where you want and with a high handicap golfer it's difficult for them to bring that because they want to get better fast. They want to play better, easier, but their skill level doesn't necessarily allow for it yet. Yep. Right. And, and that's where it goes to, yeah. Like if they can't competently hit chip shots with no pressure by themselves, no one watching on the practice screen, and then they go into struggling and competition when the stress goes up, when the nerves go up, you know, it's, it's, they've got to get competent first before it becomes more of a massive acceptance issue out there. Like they're caught there. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, if, if you get two phone calls, you get somebody that's a 20 handicap that's struggling with the yips and somebody that's a major champion struggling with the yips, your, your first couple of questions may be completely different because the guy that's the major champion obviously has the ability to hit good. It's, it's much more of a confidence issue than a competence issue yeah. with, the with a high handicap, but I would say it's a 20 handicap, hypothetically, yeah. there is certainly a confidence issue. There's also a competence issue yeah. because again, your skill level is just not high enough. So it's a, it's a both and yeah. situation. I would want to check off the first box with both of them regardless. And you'd be surprised how many pro golfers who have been kind of trying to fight the yips with technique that they have to go back and relearn how to deliver the golf club to a ball because they've been trying to deliver it in a way to to combat the yips, which has only been exacerbating the yips. And then of course yep. it starts to the technique and it can be a bit of a vicious cycle if you don't step out of it. So for those listening, I'm hoping what they can pull from this is understanding the yips more clearly what it is. Cause it's not just the jerk. It's why the jerk or, or the hesitation. And then also how they can perhaps start to move away from it in a way where they can find out what their technique does. And if they then want to go get better at something and it's not producing what they're looking for, they can do that without going to a, a lesson, hoping someone gives them the technique that will yep. just that will turn their yips off, which is not. Uh, it's highly unlikely. I'm not saying impossible, but highly improbable. Because again, you're doing the thing that you have told your brain you got to save me from, yeah. but you're just now a little bit better at it. But it still doesn't care because that's pursuit based, and avoiding it is the priority. One of the things that. Uh that Hal would always say, Hal Sutton would always say, he talked, he, he told a story a bunch of times about he lost a tournament. I think it was Walt Disney 
a couple of weeks before the PJ Championship that he won. And he had a four or five shot lead and Kyle Pete came back and beat him. And he was his the PJ that he won at Riviera, he was he had a he led the whole tournament from start to finish. And he, you know, Jack Nicholas was coming back on him, you know, with I think he had three or four holes left and Jack was one or two down coming back from five or six or whatever. And he, he tells a story all the time. He talked about making his world small. Like yeah. he put a towel over his head and was like, he needed to just kind of get back to being more task oriented and not, not making his world so big. And, you know, he had a, I think a one shot lead going at 18 and his only goal was to hit it low off that tee, keep it low. And, and, and he, he drove it right down the middle. And it just kind of reminds me of this whole conversation because of, I feel like these these the people that get again full-blown yips chipping yips putting yips you know full swing yips it's again you like you said trying to be perfect acceptance is is nil and none um and instead it needs to be what is the task at hand what are we trying to do and it can be something super simple to slowly kind of break that chain and to slowly yeah. get you out of that yeah i mean we might really say more pursuit task oriented yeah. so what and i'm making my my world small it's He's bringing it down to what is the task right in front of me. Yes, I'm trying to beat Jack Nicholas, yeah. but the task is this ball needs to go from here to there. So if I can actually be focused on that and how I'm executing it and focused on it when it's happening and how it's happening rather than, well, how is it going to add up at the end and what is Jack doing and all these different things, yeah. it your brain starts to see that in a way. It's like, oh, that's what we need to do? Then let's do that in a way that has far less self-imposed interference than can't hit here because then jack's going to do this and all this stuff and again it's easy to say a little bit harder to do because there is an actual competitive situation playing but it still provides the framework for when we're under pressure and outcomes matter to us or we're playing casual round and we want to have more enjoyable time that the more i can be into the task at hand and immersed in it and clarified on pursuing what i want the more open we are to having that experience more often and the less our brain is going to try to save save us from stuff um, the last thing I'll say about chipping yips, what I've found again is when we don't hit a good shot, it kind of goes back to what Hody said. We all, I always want to have an answer. I want to know why I want to know, did we hit behind it? Did we hit too much into the ground? Again, think about an airplane. Did the airplane touch the runway and come back up where we wanted to? Was it toey? Was it Healy? What happened? Yes. Except it's could have been bad. And we felt, we felt flinchy. Okay. So then that starts there. If you felt the yip, it probably starts more on, on dock side than it does on a mechanical side. But if we're not chipping the way we want to chip, what is happening? Where are we hitting the ground? Perfect world, most pitch shots we want to hit the ground right under the ball or just past the golf ball. The lower the shot, the more forward. The higher the shot, the more behind. We can hit some soft little high pitches where our low point is actually behind the golf ball. Mm-hmm. But the technique has to be right to do it. we got to use enough of the bounce, all that stuff. But answer the question. And the, and it's the, the answer is never, I suck. The answer is either I was, my arc height was too low. I was under the ground, into the ground too much. Most players, I very rarely ever tell a player to get lower to the ground when they put shots. I almost always tell players to get taller, get the, keep the club above the ground longer. We, we can bury a seven iron into the ground and hit good golf shots. We can't bury a soft pitch into the ground and hit good golf shots, whether it's behind the ball or past the ball. So if any of you guys at home are, are struggling with, with the chipping yips, get the club above the ground longer. Typically being taller is better. Take all the chunks away, um, get a little bit softer grip pressure. Most of the time, everything's just too tense. Again, trying to be too perfect. If you can radically accept all outcomes, we're not in an anxiety mode. We're on time. 
from there, answer the question of what happened. Where did the club hit the ground? Where did it land? And if it's not landing in the right spot, figure out what you've got to do. Go work with an instructor or video your, your motion, see what's happening. But get that club to bottom out more consistently at the golf ball. And we can't guarantee anything, but I can almost promise your chipping and pitching will get much better. Yeah. So low point control. Low point control. EJ said it too. He, yeah, he, he did. He, 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 uh, he validated my uh, my. And if EJ for, says it, you that's know right. true. Other than your disagreement about uh, grilling after our right. We got a steak cook off, a steak taste off coming yeah. back. When you come back, you're going to be. I'm happy I'm, to be the judge of this. I'm going to have to pay you a little bit extra to, to I can be bought. <laughs> hey, where can they find us, Chase, as we finish up? At GB, GB. TS. TS. I about said P. I it's, about threw a pot. It's our podcast. It's Golf at beneath GBTS. The, at GBTS. That's the first time I messed up on that one. GBTS podcast on Instagram. BTS underscore mindset on Twitter. Uh, Chase Cooper Golf on Instagram. Um, if you like the podcast, don't be afraid to get up there. Get go to Apple Podcasts, go to Spotify, give us a review, give us uh, give us some stars. It always helps. We're not doing it for that. We're doing it to help. But it's always fun to see those get a little bit extra dopamine by getting those extra stars. Feedback is important so we can improve the podcast for the listeners. Also, send us your questions. I've already got a bunch after our last Q and A, awesome. so we'll have another one of those coming up uh, in the future here. We will until we see you again. I don't. It'll be a minute. Probably through a screen on the next one. But thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Yep, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.